Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Anthony, I want to welcome you to It's TechTastic. It is so lovely to have you here. Thanks so much, Christian. Glad to be here. So you have a very interesting background. Why don't you tell everybody about who you are and what you've been doing? Sure. If you look back, I would not say that I would have chosen the career path. I did not plan it all out. It just worked out in ways that through the different twists and turns and different roles, different companies, different organizations and different cultures, the sum of all that was greater than any of the individual parts. And I really like that because a lot of my friends, uh, where I work at IBM now, a lot of my friends have been there 20, 30 years. I don't have that, but what I do have is a particular set of skills, skills that make me, you know, like a guy who's very useful uh, at bringing a different perspective and thinking differently. So the background of working backwards is today that I lead the global agile digital transformation for all of digital sales for all of IBM. And that is applying the principles and values of agility, the same things that worked well in 2001 when they were kind of codified for software development. But now we're saying, but gosh, the idea of iterating faster, making smaller bets instead of bigger bets, pivoting when you learn something new and giving people the delegated authority to, along with the delegated responsibility to make better choices. So we support them rather than tell them what to do. That's just a really good way to operate, period. So we've taken the values and principles and applied them now in sales. I've done it in marketing and in operations. So we're not trying to be like anybody else. We're trying to uniquely identify the way we work, the context we're in and the audience we serve to figure out how do we create and deliver value for everybody better, more consistently, sooner, where things like revenue and profit are then byproducts of being really good at figuring out how to understand the creation and delivery of that value for the benefit of others. We win when they win. And if you just go back, I have done sales, sales management, marketing, marketing management, operational leadership, uh, communications. So it's been a a hodgepodge of different things, but that the culmination of all that has really allowed me to bring all of it to bear. And I get to help a lot of people in my span of care. So I, I enjoy that. That's fantastic. Yeah. People listening to the podcast know that there are certain companies I pick on a little bit. Uh, One of them is IBM, not because IBM's doing anything wrong or anything like that. It's just they're big. They've been around for a long time. And in technology, that implies a certain thing, right? And so uh, sometimes I pick on it a little bit. Sure. Another thing I do pick on a bit, and this is why it's fun to have you on, is Agile. So in 2001, when the Agile Manifesto was being written in response to XP and waterfall methodologies that Mm -hmm. preceded it, it was really about unlocking the human potential of all these, well, we thought of ourselves as brilliant software engineers, right? We're like, we know good enough. You don't have to put all this rigorous process about it, around it, empower us, give us enough knowledge. Let's come up with a minimum version of project management to support us moving faster, breaking things and inventing new things. What would that manifesto look like? So the reason I go through all that is I started writing a book about a decade ago called Fragile. 
and it was mm -hmm. talking about all the ways that Agile had been like codified and put into the world that were anti the manifesto mm -hmm. and how it was it was falling apart because of that. I would agree with that because what people lean into is um, the, there's a behavior with many, many people that says, in order for me not to fail, just tell me what you need me to do so I can hit those That's right. boxes, right? <laughs> so it's very safe. I use air quotes for safe there. It's really not safe. What it is, is prescriptive. And what we believe is that being descriptive is more useful. Here's the analogy. If I were to say to any one of your listeners, hey, I need you to go to from where we are to this other city and be there by the end of the week. Make sure you don't spend more than this. Make sure you touch these clients. You said, we're going to go make sure things are good and then look for opportunity while you're there. And I gave you some criteria around that. Okay. You could tell them, I want you to take this road. I don't <laughs> want you to deviate from it. I need you to make sure you take this car and not spend more than this in gas. So you could be very prescriptive in the steps and the things they have to say and the way they have to work. Right. You could do that. And mm -hmm. for a long time, that's the way it was, where people, managers existed to make sure there was compliance and people were staying inside their lanes and doing the, the numbers game of if you just make enough calls, if you just do enough stuff, you'll be successful. And that's just not true, right? More of a bad activity or even faster of the wrong activity will not make you successful. So what instead of saying, instead of prescribing the route and the destination and all the things that I'm describing for this, I just say, here's the description of what we want from this trip. The reason we're sending you to go to the city is to accomplish these things. Don't really care how you do that. Make sure you do a couple of these things. Here's some boundaries for you. But the way you do that and the way you learn and come back and tell us what you learned, that's what we're interested in because you're the experts. We think you know you're in this role because you know something and you're really good at helping understand what others need and bringing that back so that we know how to create and deliver value. Well, one of those is a map with highlighted directions and turn-by-turn -turn instructions and the other one is <laughs> GPS right? I prefer GPS because I believe everybody should be given the baseline of trust. If I've hired you and we've trained you, you should have everything you need to go and be successful. But the way you do that should be entirely up to the context that you find yourself in and your own personal experiences. I shouldn't, don't do it exactly like I would do it. And there's where a lot of leadership and I would say management really gets in the way. Management yeah. wants to prescribe. This is the way, this is the thing. And while it's helpful to have boundaries and guidelines to make sure we don't break too much stuff um, and, or, or do something illegal and more unethical, I think it's, it's very helpful to have the boundary, but the white space in the middle should be blank very much because the answer is we don't know what always works because nothing is that much of a template. You have to account for the human connection. You have to account for the emotion. You have to account for the experience. And that gives our people the, the freedom to go figure out the best way to do something in this situation and in that situation. I love the way you were describing that because when I've had large organizations and we start going through a planning process that starts to get down into like task assignment and like breaking things down right. to these tasks, like what the hell are we doing? If we have good engineers, which we do, because we have great people, that's why we hired them, they should have the freedom to figure out the right way to do this. If we're figuring out how to do it up front, why are we paying them to do anything? If we're getting down to the point where we're saying turn left at the red light at 3 p.m. on Tuesday when you get to it on 4th Street, in software development in particular, you've just described the code. You've just written out exactly the logic of the thing. And if it's the same, I imagine it's the same thing in other functions like sales. If you have to say, meet with Dave on Tuesday at when, you know, at three o'clock, tell him these specific, like this is the benefits to him, this is why Dave's gonna buy it. 
you've gone into the point of I could have a chatbot do this. I could have I could Correct. do it myself, right? In any function, you want the creativity of the person and the ingenuity of their listening skills active listening to understand uh, in sales would be the buyer signals in marketing would be understanding the pulse uh, based on data and feedback in operations it would be what the teams are telling you in finance it would be based on your your cash flow your accounts payable accounts receivable looking for trends and you know it doesn't really matter the function the principle is do we set our people up to succeed one of the things I think that people fail to recognize, and this is one of the critiques to the Agile Manifesto, is that there wasn't a lot of clarity when they described something. Like a user story is meant to be a description of the end user, what they're doing, and what they're expecting and what you're doing in response to it. Not the directive, this is exactly how we're going to solve that problem, but more the, we're going to land a person on the moon and we're going to get them back safely. It's meant to be an epic. It's meant to be a very lofty ideal. And then your job as a software engineer or a sales or you know anybody that's involved in that is to use your critical thinking skills to dissect that into something that you can act on, right? Mm -hmm. And what ends up invariably happening over time, I've found it like everywhere I've ever been, I see it occur, is that it gets less lofty and more, more refined. Granular. Granular, right. And it's because of fear of failure. Everybody's afraid that if you give me the responsibility of figuring out how to do that and it doesn't exactly work out right, I'm gonna be the one punished for it. And it doesn't always come across as that. It's just, hey, that's not exactly what we expected. You go to a demo, you're in a sales call, the customer sees it and it's not exactly what they were expecting because there was a lack of clarity of the outcome, right? So the, the software engineer or the product manager, whoever, their response is, oh, I didn't have good enough requirements. And so they start asking more detailed questions, which is a good activity, right? I wanna get better clarity about what you want. But over time, that gets narrower and narrower to the point where it actually is it's no value at all. prescriptive after a while. Right. right. Yeah. You shifted from the, well, started the message, right? I want GPS. I want descriptive, describe the destination and the desired outcome, and then trust people to figure it out and help them figure it out, support them. I, I think management has two roles and two roles only today, 21st century. I think you have to help people with their career growth and I think you have to skill them up. That's it. As a manager, I don't need to tell them what to do or how to do it. I can demonstrate, show, coach, teach, mentor, train, but I need to empower them to use their brain, their experience, their knowledge, their network to improve. My job is to not say, did you get it right? It's to say, did you learn? True story. Yep. I was in sales. This is like 99 or something like that. And a guy named Charlie Reed was my was my sales manager. And I had a really big deal. And it was, you know, one of those, if you don't land this, you're not going to make your numbers for the quarter kind of deal. And sure enough, I lost. And when I lost the deal, I realized it's because I didn't know something. I had a, I had a lack of knowledge around something that caused us to lose the deal. So I went to meet with Charlie and I said, Charlie, uh, I closed the office door one day. I said, I'm, I'm just sorry to tell you this deal with this very large company isn't gonna happen. I didn't know about this. I don't know how I didn't know that, but I didn't know that. And because of that, we lost the deal. He's like, okay. And I thought he was gonna yell at me. I thought he'd be mad. And he goes, uh, I said, uh, well, I'm really sorry. He goes, well, did you learn? I said, well, yeah, now I know something I didn't know. He goes, okay, don't do it again. And I'm like, I thought I might have to give my resignation today. Like I was really scared and he says, Anthony, I don't want to fire you. I'll never fire you for making a mistake, but I will fire your ass if you make the same mistake, right? And it was such a helpful 
construct of that's permission to fail. Because if I fail and learn, did I really fail or did I now gain a skill? Yeah, it hurt, but that's how you have to let your kids grow up, right? You have to let them fall. It hurts as a parent. You don't want them to fall. You don't want them to, but they have to. Not everything has to be super painful. You can protect from some things, but the helicopter parent, right, is going to try to prevent everything and then the kid doesn't grow. It's like planting a new tree. If you put a new tree and they're going to tell you, horticulturists will tell you, put four you know, stakes in the ground and tie it down to where the wind doesn't just snap it. It's so brittle, it's so small. But after about, depending on the tree, after a year or six months, couple of years, you have to cut those off. You have to take those stakes away because once it gets to a certain size, once it matures enough, even though it's still on a small stage, the wind pushing on it and it blowing and going back and forth is what makes it stronger. That's right. It's the resistance <laughs> building up is what builds the strength. So when you talked about your book, Fragile, there's a concept called fragile and anti-fragile. Mm -hmm. So in theory, the tree is fragile on day one. Plant it, it needs some support. But after a while, if I keep tying it down, I'm, I'm guaranteeing it's fragile because it will never earn, never learn how to withstand the, the wind. And that's what makes it grow big and strong. So with teams, if something hard happens and we fail together, but we learn, we're stronger because of it. So anti-fragile is the opposite of fragile. So if I throw a wine glass down and it shatters, that's fragile. But if somehow I figured out that if, if I could throw a wine glass down and the impact made it stronger and when it came bounced back up to my hand, I have a better wine glass, that would be amazing. Well, that requires some sort of dynamic that a static object like a piece of glass can't have, but a team can because a team can build resilience. And if you're learning, did you really fail? No. You just can't fail all the time. But chunking things into smaller bets, not betting the house or doing a quarter's worth of marketing or half a year's worth of sales efforts and hoping it works, that is a bad idea. You mm -hmm. should chunk that stuff up monthly, bi-weekly, quarterly, and figure out, learn and pivot sooner. That's the idea of agility. Right. And I don't hardly use the term agile anymore just because it means 20,000 things to 20,000 different it's people. It's overloaded, yeah. It's overloaded. <laughs> but what I do is say, do you want clarity with alignment? Then you have to learn how to create Respect, openness, courage, empathy, trust, five values. Respect, openness, courage, empathy, trust. And the underlying one is trust, right? Because the opposite of fear is not courage. Courage is acting in spite of fear. The opposite of courage is trust. Opposite of fear, excuse me, is trust. So we want to build on that. And then we have principles. And for us, we have three. Um, are we doing work in an experimental and iterative way frequently? Is, are we listening for feedback? And are we improving continuously, even if it goes up and down? It's not up into the right hockey stick, but are we generally over time figuring things out and getting better? Those are our criteria. If, if all of that's not true, then our culture is a problem, right? I, I think agility is a culture play. Change the culture, you can change anything. Don't change the culture and the moment you step away, guess what? People go back to what didn't work because at least it's comfortable. That's so right. you have to change mindset and I think part of that comes down to, can you build a culture of trust? And you can start with a team, an organization, a business unit, a whole organization. But, but ultimately, if you don't have that, forget it. You will not be responsive. You will only ever be reactive. And it's, it's hit or miss if you're going to win or lose in the market. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious. Hey there, Tech Tastians. 
Is your team drowning in tech debt and you just wish you had a magic button to fix it? I want to introduce you to Vala AI, your tech debt hero. At Vala AI, we get it. You're busy. That's why we've made fixing tech challenges as easy as a click of a button. You don't need to be an engineer. We empower non-techies to conquer complex tech issues effortlessly. We understand you don't have time for tech headaches. Vala AI is here to lift that tech burden, making your tech debt disappear with a simple click. So ready to say goodbye to tech troubles? Try Vala AI. Your solutions are just a click away.